Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Recalibrating the Scales. I'm your host and Chief Executive Resolutionist, Normia Vasquez Scales, at your disposal. versus ability and maturity, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back yet again, my dear listeners, to another lush and sprightly episode. Please allow me to to plunge into the nucleus of this broadcast without further ado. I zealously, and I do mean zealously, proclaim that I've been a staunch proponent of ability and or maturity versus age for as long as I can remember. However, My stance is magnified amid the parenting phase of life. In brief, I've encountered vast and varied frustrations during my son Maximo's educational expedition, to say the least. In a nutshell, the waiting and regression he endured during his preschool years through his elementary school years for being a light year ahead. However, bearing the brunt of idling coupled with discontentment he'd met because the remainder of his peers, I quote, weren't there yet. What a grave disservice it was for him to be mandated to watch and wait for everyone else to get up to speed alongside the other Achilles heel, his November birthday, ladies and gentlemen. You guessed it. Yes, he had an additional year of pre-K despite being an academically advanced higher learner. Nevertheless, this was unduly disconcerting for Maximo and I mutually watching and waiting and watching and waiting and waiting and watching and watching and waiting. You get my drift. This continued continued for roughly three consecutive years. Needless to say, it was like watching paint dry, for lack of a better phrase. This was an academic example of how age succeeding ability is detrimental. Then there's the clear-cut case of age versus maturity. In my humble opinion, and you know, for those of you who know me well, know that I'm very opinionated, shamelessly and unabashedly opinionated, pardon me. If a child is mature enough to engage in certain practices or activities, albeit being left independently to their devices within the safe parameters of their homes, utilizing mass transit independently, within reason, of course, Attending certain events void of parenting, cooking, laundry, etc., they should be allowed to do so. Why? Because there are full grown, able bodied adults and young adults, teens, etc., that I wouldn't trust being unattended for a mere five seconds, let alone five minutes, let alone five hours. Or, quite frankly, they just lack the maturity. It seems like Only yesterday, I overheard my former neighbor scold on load on her teen and tween daughters for having an unauthorized hard party of the century. I do mean a hard party. 
everything imaginable, boys, girls, you know, vice versa, marijuana, underage drinking, the list goes on. So I can't quite blame her for her reaction. Hence, in my mind's eye, sound judgment, maturity, and ability succeed age. Early education in most instances is proportionate to maturity and ability in my perspective, which is what I've instilled in my son through the years. If a child is capable of learning certain life skills from being home alone to cooking and utilizing public transportation, again, I believe they should be allowed to do so. So here are a few thought-provoking questions you might ask yourselves. On the episode page, I actually posted this question. Does Jackie Joyner, Joyner Kersey, the renowned uh, track and field star, does her assertion age is no barrier, it's the limitation you put on your mind, ring true? Furthermore, should special consideration and or concessions be made based upon maturity and ability versus numeric age alone? Are you a proponent of age and or maturity of, or and of, are you a proponent of age, maturity, or ability, or a combination of those? If you could explain or expound upon your inclinations of that of your particular preferences, does early education correlate to maturity in your opinion? So, allow me to pivot and descend my soap, soapbox now and share other findings with you, my dear listeners. So let's explore the findings of others. Okay. All right. So I'd like to begin by sharing snippets of an article. Uh, this is from Parents, parents.com. And this is titled 10 Life Skills to Teach Your Child by Age 10. But again, you know, in my opinion, I'd like for you to pardon the numeric age, if you will. But 10 life skills to teach your child, I would say at an early age. Your child is more capable than you realize. Even your preschooler can begin to learn these essential life lessons. With so much for our children to learn in today's high-tech world, it's all too easy for them to miss out on practical life skills, whether it's running a load of wash, reading a map, or handwriting a letter. A recent study by the online security company ABG Technologies found that while 58% of three- to five-year-olds in the U.S. can navigate a smartphone, fewer than one out of six, which is 15%, could make their own breakfast, ladies and gentlemen. I see many parents doing everything, and I quote, I see many parents doing everything for their kids instead of letting them figure out how to fend for themselves. This is according to Tim Elmore, the founder of Growing Leaders, a nonprofit in Norcross, Georgia, that works with schools and civic groups to promote leadership qualities in children. So the notion is to begin teaching these skills now and put your kid, your your child on the path towards independence. Number one, doing the laundry. Okay, so this is the first suggestion. Too many teens head to college with no clue. They're completely clueless of how to launder their own clothing. So don't let your child become one of these cases. You can begin by by educating your child early on. If you have a top-loading washer, have a step stool nearby. Walk them through the process, how to measure and add the detergent. Choose the settings. Start the machine. Okay? Number two, 
plant a seedling. They actually spell out this process, ladies and gentlemen. Lots of preschoolers learn to plant seeds in class, but not how to transfer sprouts into a garden. So Whitney Cohen, the co-author of the Book of Gardening Projects for Kids, shares the basics. Number one, she says to ask your child to dig a hole that's slightly larger than that container the the, the plant is in. Once you remove the plant from the pot, place it in the hole, have your child to, delicate, to delicately place the soil, push the soil around it, and pat it down. Uh, let the child water it with a gentle stream from a watering can with a perforated nozzle. And if, you know, by at a certain juncture of this routine practice, your child can remove a seedling themselves, have them to split it to split two fingers apart so the stem of the plant goes in between them, then squeeze the outside of the container until the plant comes out. If the roots are wound tightly, they should loosen them a few times, a few at a time before planting. Another suggestion is wrapping a gift. Your child already loves giving presents, and wrapping them makes it even more satisfying. So preschoolers can assist cutting the paper, applying the tape, while uh, other Smaller youth can complete additional steps with your aid, like removing the price tag, finding the right box, wrapping paper all the way around the gift to make sure it fits before cutting it. Number four is hammering a nail. So give your child a seven or nine ounce hammer. Home improvement stores do sell children's models as light as four ounces, but with those, it's a, it's a bit more challenging to, to pound a nail. It suggests using a, a piece of soft wood, such as pine, poplar, or cedar. You can hold it in place with clamps or a vise, or simply place it on the ground. Select nails with a wide head. Um, when your child is ready to do it themselves, you can push a nail through a small piece of cardboard so it's held in place as they hammer it into the wood. Make sure your child holds the edge of the cardboard instead of the nail to protect their fingers. Once they've mastered that method, try having them to hold the nail uh, preparing yourselves, bracing yourselves for an occasional sore thumb or two, but before long, they'll get the swing of it. Number five, writing a letter. Toddlers can dictate a letter to a family member, enhanced with drawings, of course. Attach the stamp and drop it into the mailbox. Teach your older children how to address an envelope and the five parts of a letter, the date, greeting, dear so-and-so, the body, the closing, Sincerely so-and-so, and signature. You can also help them with holiday cards. Find a pen pal. Sites such as Amazing Kids and International Pen Friends can assist with this, can assist. Or correspond with your President of the United States, if you will, by having them address a letter to the White House, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20500. Number six. Preparing a simple meal, that's another suggestion. Invite your child to, to assist preparing meals, meal preparation. Assist, assign them tasks to do. And please, maintain your composure in the process. When the flour spills and the eggshells fly and splatter, says Christina Dymock, a, a mom of four and author of Young Chefs, yogurt with fruit is a good first do-it-yourself breakfast. Small children. For instance, can spoon yogurt into a bowl and then add pre-washed cut-up fruit. Around as they as they mature, your child can try toaster oven favorites like English 
muffin pizza or make a simple salad by ripping lettuce, dumping in croutons, and slicing up, hacking up tomatoes, cucumbers, carrots. As they mature, they'll be able to use other kitchen utensils, stovetop, for example, with supervision for a grilled cheese sandwich. However, focus on safety and practice, and you might just have a mastered chef junior on your hands, according to the author. Navigating is another suggestion. If you've ever gotten lost following a GPS turn-by-turn voice directions, you know why being able to read a map is essential, even if it's on your wireless device. So these activities will build your child's navigational skills. You can hunt for treasure. Maps seem boring. And so you use them to, to search for treasure, for goods. For Hide your toys, hide toys in your yard, and then draw a simple sketch to mark their location. Have your child to lead the way, whether there be zoos, museums, theme parks. Have colorful, easy-to-read maps. Ask your smaller children to track their paths and challenge your older children. Uh, challenge your children, period, case in point, to get you from point A to point B. Take up geocaching. Children love this outdoor treasure hunt game, which uses GPS tracking to find containers filled with trinkets. You can learn more about geocaching at geocaching.com. Treating a wound is another suggestion. Teach your child from a young age not to spaz out when they see blood, and please don't overreact yourself. So give them a game plan. Um, giving them a game plan will distract them from the pain. And it'll come in handy when you're not around to kiss their boo-boos. Okay? Number nine is cleaning the bathroom. Oh, how paramount this is in my domain. Keep rags or a sponge handy for wiping toothpaste blobs off the sink. Hmm, sounds familiar. Toilet, duty, toilet duties require greater skill, my dear listeners. So I would say mature children, as they mature, uh, they can clean the lid the seat and the base with a disinfecting wipe, for instance. Please make sure they wash their hands thoroughly afterwards. Um, other children can scrub the commode, uh, the inside with the with a non-toxic cleaner using a commode brush, of course. Sprinkle the sides with baking soda. Let it sit for a few minutes. Pour in some vinegar, which is my trusty go-to staple. Um, I implore you, you know, keep a diluted vinegar and water solution spray bottle around the house. You know, these are, they come in handy for multiple purposes, especially the inside and outside of the commodes, to say the least. And then use your toilet brush. Number 10 is comparison shopping. Teaching kids to be smart consumers takes practice. So the author gives a three-step approach. Number one, explain as you go. So mention prices out loud. Uh, discuss the, their choices. For, for instance, they quote, I'm getting gas at the other station because it costs 10 cents less per gallon. Okay? Number two, let your kid pay sometimes. Use funny money or actual money. Give them an allowance and then designate items that they're responsible for purchasing. Number three is play the grocery game. At the supermarket, challenge your child to find the least expensive brand of toilet paper or other items, to say the least. Here are some 11 life skills to teach your child at an early age, according to Very Well Family. Okay? So, verywellfamily.com. Life skills are valuable lessons, as we've concluded, uh, that you'll use all throughout your lifespan. Most children don't learn 
how to handle real-world situations until they're in high school or older, as we've established. So get a jump start, as we've already alluded to and shared, on teaching practical lessons to get your children right here, right now, starting with decision-making and then building on these life skills as they grow, as they mature, that word again. So making good life decisions is a life skill every child should begin learning at a young age. I agree. This is per the author. You can then begin with basic decisions like chocolate versus vanilla ice cream, blue socks or white socks, playing trains or playing cars. The list goes on. Number two is health and hygiene. When your, ch- your children are never too young to begin learning about health and hygiene. In our hectic day-to-day shuffle, we're always telling our children to take a bath, brush their teeth, wash their hands, change their underwear. We never tell them why, though. Please explain the rationale. Explain why health and hygiene are always going to be crucial parts of their days. Number three is time management. Every parent knows how important time management is to keep your family on course. But it's also essential for children to begin learning time management lessons again now. Not only does teaching younger children how to measure time, stay on task, and keeping to a schedule, adhering to a schedule, assist in making your days easier. Learning these life skills also help them become masters of time so they can do everything from rising on time to getting to work on time. Number four is meal preparation. We've already established that, ladies and gentlemen. Even the youngest children can learn how to prepare a meal in the kitchen. We're not talking about a five-course meal, of course, but you can teach your preschoolers how to prepare a sandwich, for instance, um, as your children become more confident in the kitchen, they can add on, they can graduate to more advanced meals. Number five is money management. I highly endorse this. We teach our children to count. We teach our children basic math. But we can take these lessons further, according to the author, and convert them into life skills they can begin utilizing. Now, again, uh, teach your children effective money management so they can learn how to save, Spend wisely, make change, and understand that writing a check or using a credit card isn't free money. Number six, it's cleaning. We've already established that as well in the prior source. Sometimes it's easier for parents to do all of the housekeeping themselves. It's a missed opportunity for us to teach our children how to keep the house clean, which they'll eventually need to know when they leave, when they're off for college again, post-secondary education. And someday have homes of their own, families of their own. So begin with chore, chore charts. That include learning how to make the bed empty in the dishwasher and dust, um, keep a towel or sponge in the bathroom that allows children to wipe away globs of toothpaste again, that globs of toothpaste and other spills and splatters. And set a daily housekeeping schedule you know, to facilitate this. Number seven is laundry. We've already established that. If you have children, you have a lot of laundry, teach them how to wash fold, and then put away their laundry. It's a life skill that will assist them and you. Number eight is comparison shopping. I want it, I want it, I want it. How many times have you heard this when your children spot candy? A toy, a t-shirt, a fish, or just about anything else you can think of that children think they've got to have right now? This is very familiar to me. I'm seeing a, hearing a reflection. When we're grown-ups, we understand the value of the dollar and the importance of comparison shopping. However, we often overlook this valuable life skill we should be teaching our children. So the next time you're standing in the store, caught between a hefty price tag and your child is demanding you to fork over the dough, take time 
to get your phone out and search for the item on a variety of shopping sites. Show your children how much that item costs at other entities and what comparable items there that may be a better quality. Number nine is ordering at restaurants. We often tend to place our children's order, but allow them to place the orders themselves. It helps to build confidence. Many restaurants have picture menus on the, on, the, on the children's menu, so very small children can begin by circling or coloring what they'd like to eat. Number 10 is getting ready. Children learn how to get ready on their own at an early age. So allow them to select their clothing that they'll wear the next day before they go to bed. Choose an alarm clock that's easy for them to set. Lay out their hairbrush, their toothpaste, their utensils, and so forth and use visuals to illustrate the process. Last but not least, number 11 is maintenance around the house. We've already, again, is this, you know, not to sound redundant, but tasks around the house, um, showing them how to change the toilet paper roll, to back up the trash, changing a light bulb, unclogging the drain, vacuum cleaner bags, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Again, they all pay off in the long run in fortifying confidence and as well as that maturity. Now, I would like to toggle over to another source. Okay. And this is children should advance according to according to skill, not age. Again, I'm just going to share a few snippets. So in 2010, there was a fifth grade student named Jack. He began the year at the bottom of his class in math at Santa Rita Elementary School in Los Altos School District in California. He struggled. He scuffled to keep up and grew to consider himself as one of those children who could never, quote, quite get it. In a typical school, he would have been tracked and placed in the bottom math group. And that would have meant that he would not have he wouldn't have taken algebra until high school, which would have negatively impacted his college and career choices. But Jack's story took a less familiar turn. His school transformation, his class, his school transformed his class into a blended learning environment. After 70 days, 70 days of using Khan Academy's online math tutorials and exercises for a portion of his math three to four days a week, rather than remaining tracked in the bottom of math group, Jack rose to become one of the top four students in his class. He was working well beyond his grade level at that juncture. His rapid progress sounds like the stuff in movies and magic now, doesn't it? It's an example of the power of online learning to personalize learning for each student. Okay? As Jack's story goes, fortunately, we don't need to look hard for a, a solution. And there was a solution uh, to shift away from rote learning and build instead of build instead on our uniquely human strengths in areas like creativity and interpersonal reactions. So this is this is already materializing in a growing number of K-12 schools sweeping the country, ladies and gentlemen, in the form of blended learning, brick and mortar schools providing online lessons for students. Blended learning affords the personalization of learning at scale and at an affordable price, but still offers the benefits of traditional schooling experience. This is critical because all students have different learning needs, different learning styles, at different paces and different intervals. So blended learning affords students to learn at their own pace 
and path, while also leaving teachers more time to mentor and coach each individual student. So resultantly, learning online while still in school instead of after school can provide each and every student the right educational opportunity at the right juncture. So schools using blended learning are increasingly posting impressive results, serving a student population in which over 90% of students qualify for free or reduced price lunch, and all the students, Black or Hispanic, or identify as more than one race. For instance, at the Los Angeles Charter School, KIPP Empower, they adopted blended learning in 2010. Until recently, California used an academic performance index to rate the performance of its schools with 1,000 being the highest score and 800 being the target, targeted score. KIPP Empower scored 991 in the 2012-2013 academic year. It was a similar story in the District of Columbia. Uh, it notes that when students only student, when students only progress, when students only progress when they have truly mastered a concept, they only progress then. Rather than counting progress and credit hours, the evidence of studies shows that they are also they're more, they're more motivated to take ownership of their learning. It sounds unconventional, but some schools are already embracing competency-based education. I wholeheartedly agree. Blended learning can support competency-based learning by providing the schools to bring it to scale. As online learning improves, schools will be able to rely on it to deliver consistently high-quality learning adapted to each student. I couldn't agree more. Before we close out, I'd like to share just a snippet of an article I stumbled upon. This is in singleblackmale.org, and it's titled Age Versus Maturity. It's just a story of a male and his experience. So we have a different, a different spin. As I revisit 2008 and consider my approaching birthday, according to the author, a couple of months from now, I realize I've come a long way over X amount of years. I've been on this earth in certain areas of life, I feel like I've, met, I've matured at a quicker rate than a lot of people around me. On another level, I've been described as immature for things like my blatant silliness, strolling, strolling when a certain song comes on, and for writing blogs. Yes. So one young lady had the audacity to tell me that I wrote blogs for attention and that it was extremely immature. <laughs> Can you believe that, he says. Being the witty machine that I've been conditioned to be, I had a, a list of reasons explaining why this girl and why she was a girl instead of a woman. There's a distinct difference. What I really wanted to talk about was were the roles of age and maturity from this black male's perspective. So one thing he says he's learned is that age and maturity are two completely different things. This is I follow three to four blogs pretty closely in addition to running my own and for what people are willing to disclose about themselves, it seems like the average person reading and commenting is like 27 plus and the older you get, the more experience you get, at least in theory. So maybe it's safe to say that people who read these types of blogs are pretty mature overall, but what about everyone else? We know that the 28 to 35 year old dude who's still living at home and playing video games and doesn't really seem too interested in personal development. We also know the chick with the OD strict parents that <laughs> that dominated her life until she had a ring on her finger. When it comes to relationships and handling the stuff that matters, they can appear to be a little bit behind. 
As I go to holiday parties, clubs, bars, mixers, social functions, it just seems like people really are all over the place with what with, with where they are in their lives. I've dated the late 20s chick who had the college degree and full-time job. I dated the college chick with all sorts of innocence that came from a really good upbringing, both of which brought me joy in all sorts of ways, but ultimately didn't work out for a variety of pitfalls. What I once thought was that was mature and the way to go became the type of crap that made me want to transform into the black incredible Hulk. Point here is that age isn't the end-all be-all of what maturity is and is supposed to be. As we said time and time again, experience, experience, experience. As we get closer to those scary relationships that will become husbands and wives, we need people with a shared sense of experience who understand us and we can understand them. My question to the faithful and generous readers is multi-layered. What are your thoughts on age of potential significant others? And how do you go about handling those who seem real mature, but then drop an age on you that isn't what you expected? And perhaps more importantly, define maturity. We're all grown in our way, so let's get it cracking. Well, I hope you've extracted something from something of value from all of this information, from all of these different perspectives. And I'd like to, in closing, applaud all of my listeners spanning and speckling the globe, coupled with my behind-the-scenes team, Bradley. As for you listeners, just for pleasing, bear in mind that this radio show and movement does rest upon your broad shoulders. So please, I implore your continued listenership. Until the next episode, ladies and gentlemen, this is Normia Vasquez-Scales signing off.